This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Broadcasting from Johannesburg, we are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I'm Tad Dotolo, driving the show with Joalani Tulo, Wisani Matebula and Figile Lingwanti. Top stories on Africa Digest this hour. 15 members of the UN Security Council meet South Sudan President Salva Kiir. Zambia's Constitutional Court dismisses a bed challenging last month's election results in economics south africa's opposition party to legally challenge the reappointment of south african airways board chairperson and in sports teams going to next year's africa cup of nations confirmed but first the news with jolani Thank you, Tata. Good afternoon. Fifteen members of the UN Nations, right of the United Nations Security Council, are on a remission of meeting President Salva Kiir ahead of the deployment of a special UN protection protection force comprising four thousand troops. US representative at the UN, Samantha Power, spoke to journalists in South Sudan's capital Juba shortly after arriving. We are here, unfortunately, not in a celebratory frame of mind, but because of our deep concern about the fighting that has degraded the security environment and that has exacerbated a devastating humanitarian crisis for the people of this country. The council has received continuing disturbing reports about impediments being placed that interfere with UNMIS's ability to do its work and humanitarian actors' ability to do their work. And this is a message that we will deliver to all the parties that we meet with, including the government. It is so important to let the UN do its work, to let it do its job. The Zambian government has confirmed the date for the inauguration of President Edgar Lungu. This after the Constitutional Court dismissed an application by the opposition challenging his re-election. An independent election monitoring body tweeted the government's announcement on Monday. The inauguration ceremony has been set for September 13 at the National Hero Stadium. Zambia's Constitutional Court on Monday threw out an attempt by the defeated presidential candidate Haikainde Hichilima to annul August, the August election results clearing the way for Lungu's inauguration. South African political analyst Prince Mashele has warned that more internal squabbles in the ruling ANC are likely to follow the or rather are likely following the election losses. However, he says the squabbles would only bring change if they were led by senior party figures. Earlier, ANC members of the hashtag Occupy Lutuli House movement handed a memorandum to the party's Secretary General Gwere Mandashe demanding the resignation of President Jacob Zuma and members of the NEC. The movement argues that that President Zuma is to blame for the ANC's poor performance in the recent municipal elections, Mashele explains. An effective way would be you have big heavyweights in the ANC who say that we want the leadership to step down and we're organizing a march. And those heavyweights must actually be visible, they must be known, they must be people with credibility and say we are prepared to lead. 
South Africa's Home Affairs Department says it has not yet made a decision on whether to allow the controversial U.S. pastor Stephen Anderson into the country. Anderson is expected in the country later this month. He made headlines for praising the killers of 49 people at a gay nightclub in the U.S. The Home Affairs Minister, Malusi Kikaba, met with the South African Human Rights Commission and the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex community which is opposing the pastor's visit. Kikaba says the department is carefully waiting its options. And finally, refugee children will have to face some education-related challenges in the Democratic Republic of Congo as schools resume. That's according to the UN High Commission for Refugees. Children are going back to school all over the DRC. Refugee children from South Sudan will need to use French for learning. UNHCR spokesperson Simon Lubuku. You know that we have many children arriving from South Sudan. But unfortunately, most of them didn't catch their scholar documents. It will be difficult for them as they will study in French, which is a new language for them. That is not the only challenge we have. There are many challenges like uh, the facilities. We receive more than expected. We have to find where they will go for school. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. Good evening. It's exactly five minutes past five o'clock Central African time. This is Africa Digest, exclusive to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, 15 members of the United Nations Security Council met President Salva Kiir of South Sudan ahead of the deployment of a special UN protection force comprising 4,000 troops. James Shimanyula reports. Speaking to journalists in South Sudan's capital, Yuba, shortly after arriving in the country, With 15 members of the United Nations Security Council, U.S. Representative at the U.N. Samantha Power said, We are here, unfortunately not in a celebratory frame of mind, but because of our deep concern about the fighting that has degraded the security environment and that has exacerbated a devastating humanitarian crisis for the people of this country. The Council has received continuing disturbing reports about impediments being placed that interfere with UNMIS's ability to do its work and humanitarian actors' ability to do their work. And this is a message that we will deliver to all the parties that we meet with, including the government. It is so important to let the UN do its work, to let it do its job. The visit by the UN Security Council in South Sudan comes at a time when former Vice President Riek Machar remains outside the country in Khartoum, Sudan, as tension continues to rise on the ground in Juba. But in an attempt to soothe the minds of President Salva Kiir and several members of his cabinet that are against the return of former Vice President Riek Machar, Samantha Power had this important message to the Juba government. We have also come to make clear that the best way forward The best way of averting further destabilization and giving that peace agreement a chance to take hold, giving the civilians a chance to receive the food 
that they vitally need, but more importantly, to get back to planting and taking care of their own destinies. One of the most important ways to do that is to allow the regional protection force that has just been authorized to be deployed. Also accompanying the United Nations Security Council members to South Sudan is the UN representative there, Margaret Loy, who explained the importance of the presence of the UN Security Council members in the country. It's really an opportunity for the Security Council to reaffirm to the government and to the people of South Sudan that the UN is here to work with the government and to improve the lives of the people of South Sudan. First and foremost, I hope that we will be having a very constructive engagement between the Security Council and the government of transitional unity. But we're also hoping that it would be an opportunity to hear from the government itself about the challenges and concerns that they feel they are facing in providing the necessary support. That was Margaret Loy, the United Nations representative to South Sudan. Since South Sudan descended into war in December 2013, tens of thousands of people have been killed. The United Nations has reported shocking levels of brutality, including gang rapes and the burning of villages. An estimated 16,000 children have been recruited by armed groups and the National Army in the conflict and 2.5 million people have been driven from their homes. UN troops provide safe havens for most of the displaced persons in the country. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Now, Zambia's Constitutional Court has dismissed a petition by opposition leader Haikinde Hichilema to nullify the August 11th elections won by President Edgar Lungu. Without the the hearing having started, three of five judges ruled that a 14-day deadline for hearing the challenge that was filed against, uh, uh, filed rather in August 19th, lapsed by midnight on uh, September 2nd. According to the Secretary of the Cabinet, Ronald Msika, Msiska rather, uh, Lungu will be inaugurated on September 13th. Our correspondent, Arthur Sikopo, uh, joins us on the line from Lusaka. Good evening and welcome to the show, Arthur. Good afternoon and uh, thank you so much. Cool. Now tell us, um, can you indeed confirm what transpired at the Constitutional Court today? Well, yes. Um, I can confirm that uh, uh, the petition by the Opposition Red Party for National Development um, has been dismissed. Uh, by the Constitution of Court. Uh, this was on account that uh, uh, the 14 days which uh, the petition was supposed to be heard, uh, the presented petition was supposed to be heard, uh, had elapsed. And uh, the Constitution of Court gave a reason, the reason that um, that um, 14 days ultimatum uh, elapsed on Friday, uh, Friday at uh, 23.59. Uh, but um, this came after... Um, uh, the same uh, constitutional court also uh, 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 made a ruling that uh, they'll continue hearing the case uh, this week uh, for two days, uh, giving the, the petitioners two days and the respondents two days. So meaning that it was supposed to end uh, this Thursday. But um, in the morning when the matter came up uh, to uh, have trial continue in this particular case, uh, the Attorney General, who uh, the representative of uh, the, the government, 
uh, stood up and um, uh, challenged the, 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 the period that they were going to continue. Uh, the, the 14 days period in which uh, the petition was going to be continued uh, being held in the court. And, and that is how the, um, the constitutional court, uh, uh, which comprised of five uh, judges, um, three of them voted to say, um, it can, uh, this particular petition uh, 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 cannot be continued being held because the time has had elapsed. While two of the judges uh, say that uh, uh, they continue here in the case. So on that particular aspect, uh, the majority uh, won, of course, uh, the, the three majority uh, um, over the two other judges won the case. And that is how the case was, uh, was dismissed this morning. Now, what has been the immediate reaction from the opposition leader that brought the challenge? Well, the opposition leader, Harain uh, um didn't speak much to the press. The only thing he said that uh, we have constitutional issues in this country. Um, in fact, he used uh, the word constitutional uh, crisis in this country. And uh, that, that, that is how he just left and uh, his uh, team. Um, probably we're still waiting. Probably they may they may call for a press briefing to just uh, alert us on um, on their views. And we've not had any uh, statements coming from them or from uh, the European as a team um, on this particular matter, including the lawyers. Uh, they have been mute to uh, to the to the media. All right. How was uh, this news received by the general public? Is it a, a consensus of agreeing with um, what, what the Constitutional Court has found, or is it the complete opposite? Well, um, the mood in the country right, right about now, I think um, it is very calm, and there are certain, certain uh, pockets of jubilation, uh, like uh, in town, in the central business district, um, as the UPND members or UPND cadres uh, were leaving the court, uh, they passed through town and, of course, uh, caused the traffic jam and all, uh, singing, uh, jubilating over this particular uh, judgment. But otherwise, in most places, um, people, I think, I think more, most people, even comments that you're getting on the ground, uh, people are saying that uh, uh, they knew the outcome of this particular um, uh, issue. They knew that. Even if the trial had continued, they knew that uh, uh, the incumbent or the president-elect, uh, Edgar Lungu, was going to uh, pull through in the constitutional court as well. So it is something that has not come uh, for a surprise to many people, um, as most of them are saying that uh, they expected that to, uh, to happen. That is our correspondent, Arthur Sikopo, joining us on the line from Lusaka, Zambia. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa 
This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 15 minutes after 5 o'clock Central African time. If you just tuned in, welcome to the show. This is Africa Digest exclusive to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, South Africa's Department of Home Affairs met with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex LGBTI community together with the Human Rights Commission earlier today. The meeting was to deal with issues affecting the community in relation to the Home Affairs services, other issues such as a petition sent to the Minister Melusi Kigaba regarding the potential visit to the country by American pastor Stephen Anderson was also discussed. The pastor who is expected to visit South Africa this month is widely known for his anti-gay sentiments on social media. There has been an outcry from the LGBTI community to prevent him from entering the country. Maestro Metroete, spokesperson at the Department of, hum- uh, of Home Affairs, elaborates. The meeting was addressing two parts. Uh, the first following a meeting the minister had with the LGBTI community about three months ago. Uh, and in that meeting, they had raised a number of issues about how their cases are being handled from the Department of Home Affairs. Uh, this ranges from same-sex marriages to issues of, of identity uh, change for people who have undertaken gender reassignments. They were speaking to us on a range of issues relating to civic services that we provide as a Department of Home Affairs. The minister following that meeting gave the department the instruction to come back and give them feedback on areas of improvement uh, around these, these issues I've mentioned and also standard operating procedures to make the services that we provide to the LGBTI community uh, less invasive, less offensive, more inclusive and more sensitive to, to the dynamics that they, that they have. The second aspect that the, uh, the minister was speaking to the South African Human Rights Commission about was the issue of the publicized matter of, of the Pastor Anderson from the U.S. Uh, and the means that the department has to prevent him from coming into the country or, or take very strict conditions or restrictions against his travel within the country and what he can do or can't do. So we, we had a meeting about that, and we also met with the, with the Hendrik, who is the, the leader of the 60,000 petitioners who are trying to get the department to take action against the, the planned trip of Pastor Anderson. So what came out of, uh, out of that meeting? What, what was the conclusion thereof? Well, the conclusion of that meeting was that there the is information that Hendrik is going to provide the Department of Home Affairs that information is going to assist us with um, with the type of action we can take against the pasta. The low-hanging fruit is, is to have conditions and restrictions um, imposed on, on the pasta when he travels into the country, that he can't work, that he can't preach, that he can't do a number of things, including partake in any hate speech. Uh, the minister gave very clear statements and very strong statements against his opposition to the type of sentiments and uh, comments made by Pastor Anderson and his, and his church. 
Does the department at this stage have any kind of mechanisms in which allows them then to give the LGBTI community the identity without sort of becoming a bit too offensive in that regard? Well, there's a number of interventions that civic is currently undertaking, uh, including trying to simplify some of the, the requirements. The, the, the question the minister asked is, can we make this process a little bit less laborious uh, than it currently is? So the department is currently looking at that and coming up with new standard operating procedures to make it uh, a lot easier for people to, to, to change their identity once they've uh, gone through the, to the processes that uh, are given by the Department of Justice. That's Marshall Machete, spokesperson at the Department of Home Affairs, talking to Homozo Mopulani. Brand South Africa's Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Kingsley Makubela, has recently been awarded a PhD in political science at the country's University of Pretoria. The thesis focused on a field of conflict resolution and mediation with a particular focus on the conflict in Somalia. The study explores the root causes of conflict and failure of the post-colonial state. Dr. Makubela also holds a master's degree in diplomatic studies from the same university. He explains... Well, you know, the, the question or the quest to always acquire knowledge, it's a, it's a most desirable thing. I, I started this thing when I was running the department, and, and, and I thought it would be important for me to keep on really uh, increasing my skill level to be able to operate at the level that I was. Tell us about uh, your work, what your thesis focused on. What did you really study? Well, I was studying um, conflict resolution and I used Somalia as a case study where I looked into what causes the state to fail. And once the state has failed, what are the challenges in negotiating? And I looked at the negotiation process in Somalia and I look at the mediation, I look at ethnic conflict because the Somali element, the, the clan systems, they have the element of ethnicity. So those were issues that I was investigating and why the conflict is so intractable. What causes this intractability in the conflict and so on? And then in the process, I develop a theory that I call the third generation uh, civil militia group that analyzes situations where the state has completely collapsed. And in the wake of the state, militia groups have emerged. And I call this militia group third generation civil militias. You will see uh, the same pattern of militia behavior in countries like Libya, in, in where the state is, is failing, it's just disintegrating, in countries like um, uh, Syria, in, in countries like Afghanistan. So that theory can be applied across this kind of situations. Was there a specific reason why you would have used Somalia as your, your case study? Well, Somalia is uh, one country that has been alluding the conflict resolution for quite some time, and I was really intrigued to try to understand why is this conflict so resistant to resolution. And that's why in the process then I discovered there were militia groups, very unique militia groups that are running the country, they've balkanized the country, and that's where it comes from, my, my, my own research. Mm-hmm. And just in a nutshell, uh, in which instances would a state really, really fail? Uh, what causes a state to fail? Well, there are, there are multiple of issues that causes the state to fail. The, the literature on state failure, it says state failure does not come in packages that indicates this is for failure. But the fundamental thing that really causes the state to fail is poor leadership. In cases where you don't have 
appropriate leadership where the state is unable to provide the collective goods, uh, there's no protection that is given to people, and where the state loses the monopoly to use violence because the state remains the instrument for social transformation of the society and the state has the monopoly over violence. So once this use of violence, it's, it's uh, shared among different groups, that's uh, an indication of state that, is, that has failed. But in the Somali case, the state did not only fail, it disintegrated, mm. which is a very unique phenomenon that we see. Mm. You also hold a master's degree in diplomatic studies from the University of Pretoria. Are you, you know, moving forward, are you also then looking uh, into any other kinds of fields of study? Now, I'll be, I'll be writing a lot of articles because I want to apply this theory that I've developed. I'll look at similar uh, situations where the conflicts are resistant for resolution. I hope to continue to contribute in the knowledge in the field of conflict resolution in this regard. So I'll do a lot of researches and I'll write a lot of articles. That's Dr. Kingsley Makube, Brand, South Africa Chief Executive Officer, talking to Homozo Mapulani. A major part of what has been described as the largest emergency vaccination campaign against yellow fever ever attempted in Africa has been completed. Spearheaded by the World Health Organization, the campaign saw more than 7 million people vaccinated against the virus in the DRC capital, Kinshasa. In just under two weeks, in neighboring Angola, a similar vaccination effort is underway and millions more have been vaccinated since mid-August. Yellow fever has been raging in Angola since December, especially in the capital, Luanda. Uh, The outbreak has since claimed the lives of an estimated 400 people across Angola and DRC. More from Tariq Jaresovic, communications officer at the WHO in Geneva. We are satisfied with the number of people that have been vaccinated over the past couple of weeks in Democratic Republic of Congo, but also in border area between DRC and Angola. According to latest figures, Close to 12 million people have been vaccinated, including 7.7 million in Kinshasa. And uh, you know that Kinshasa is a highly densely populated area, so it was a logistical challenge. But uh, turnout was good, population was very responsive, and we didn't have major logistical challenges in Kinshasa, which made us reaching the objective of vaccinating as many people as possible before the start of the rainy season. Now, the campaign has been described as complex and ambitious, but it was put in place in a matter of weeks. Tell us about the work that went into making this first part a success. Well, first we have to recognize the extraordinary work done by uh, national health authorities, because uh, during this campaign there were 40,000 health workers and volunteers that have been mobilized, working at more than 8,000 vaccination sites. So to prepare teams ensure the cold chain is being done, train people, and also to uh, inform the population about the importance of uh, getting out of of homes and getting vaccinated. This is something that had to be planned. Uh, Normally, these sort of campaigns take months to be planned. This time around, we want to to do faster to be able to to reach people before the start of rainy season. And so far, uh, we've got a positive result. Now that the first part of the campaign is completed, what will be the focus over the next few weeks? Well, we really have to uh, keep, first of all, surveillance, make sure that uh, we get aware of any new possible cases. We also need to make sure that uh, there is a work done on, on a vector control. Vaccination is the key element. And now we manage to vaccinate people in 
the key areas where virus was circulating. In Angola, where outbreak started, we managed to vaccinate more than 15 million people in previous campaigns. So vaccination is the key element, but we have to keep focus on epidemiological surveillance. We also have to make sure that uh, countries observe the requirement of yellow fever vaccination for travelers, because this is really the key part in uh, stopping any possible international spread of the virus. The outbreak, I understand, in both DRC and Angola appears to be declining, with no new cases confirmed in either country for over a month. Does this mean that they're out of the woods? No, we should definitely uh, not let our guards down. We know that uh, with this outbreak, we are entering new era, which is era where yellow fever may come into big cities, as this was the case in Luanda and in Kinshasa. We need really to rethink the strategy for the future on how to protect urban population from yellow fever outbreaks, how to step up vaccination, preventive vaccination, but also routine immunization. We, we really know that uh, with the climate change, with the more movement between cities, not only within Africa, uh, but also internationally, with more urbanization, there is this risk of uh, yellow fever, but other vector-borne diseases as well to move faster, and we have to take that into account. That's Tariq Jasirovic, uh, communications officer for the World Health Organization in Geneva, speaking to Elizabeth Lidicha. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's exactly 5.30 and time now for the headlines with Jolani. Thank you, Tato. Making headlines, 15 members of the United Nations Security Council on a rare mission of meeting President Salva Kiir ahead of the deployment of a special UN protection force comprising 4,000 troops. The Zambian government has confirmed the date of the inauguration of President Edgar Lungu. And finally, South African political analyst Prince Mashele has warned that more internal squabbles in the ruling ANC are likely following the election losses. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
Thank you very much, Jolani. Now, Cameroonian markets are being flooded with American and European second-hand clothing, electronic appliances, and furniture highly cherished by buyers for their good quality. The rush for the goods has led to piling and unsold stocks of new Chinese goods said to be of inferior quality. Channel Africa's Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Hundreds of youths shout at the top of their voices to advertise second-hand dresses they sell here at the Mukulu market in Kamun's capital, Yawundi. It is also this market that supplies most second-hand dresses from America and Europe. Second-hand pants sell as from less than a dollar to ten dollars depending on their quality and state. Among the buyers is 21-year-old Bimila Hans, who has just been recruited as secondary school teacher in Yaoundé. I prefer second-hand goods from uh, Europe and America because of the quality and the, because of uh, the duration. European and American goods look very, very expensive. But when you're someone who knows what you want, you better go in for what is expensive and which will last long rather than going in for what is cheap. Not far from the market is a line of 50 tellers and seamstresses. They cut and stitch the dresses to the sizes of buyers. University student Ayompe Rosaline has just handed a jacket and trouser to a teller. I asked her if she was aware of the origin of the dresses. Let's say if somebody has already worn the dress and the person doesn't want to wear it again, they give it to a retailer or a wholesale person who in turn exports it. When I buy the dresses, I have to wash them before wearing them. I have to iron them before wearing them so that in case there's anything there, it will not affect me. In case I see something which I really like and it's big, I buy it. I try to reduce it to my size. Cameroon's customs officer, Christian Jock, says a more than 50% increase in second-hand goods imported to Cameroon has been reported within the past five years. She says at times people who have brothers or friends in Europe ask them to collect dispose of goods and send to them, especially because they believe that Europeans use their electronic appliances for a short period of about six months or one year and then acquire new ones. She says their relatives in Europe ask them to pick or buy at giveaway prices and send to them, and at times they give each person traveling back home two or three appliances to carry along so as to avoid paying customs duties and as such the goods are less expensive. She says most cherished electronics and electrical appliances are from Germany. There are also several points where second-hand vehicles are sold in Yaoundé. Larai Buba, a university lecturer, is about to buy a Mercedes-Benz. She says they prefer second-hand vehicles from Europe because the vehicles are in a solid state, solid and well-constructed, unlike vehicles from China and India that they do not know if the quality is good and are not sure of getting their spare parts. She says they have spare parts of European vehicles in Cameroon and in circumstances where some of the parts are difficult to find, they easily call their relatives who are very many 
Les choses qui viennent d'Europe, c'est des choses de qualité et bien contrôlées. The rush for second-hand goods from Europe has led to the stockpiling of Chinese goods in various shops across Cameroon. Teacher Bimila Hans says the Chinese goods, though new, are of inferior quality. I won't go in for Chinese goods simply because when you get the Chinese goods, let me take for example for a shirt, two days after the quality of the shirt must have deteriorated and I go into utensils, if you buy a spoon, a Chinese spoon, let the spoon slip into water and get back to it the next day, then you understand what a Chinese good is all about. I won't even talk about poor quality, but poorest quality. Cameroon's Institute of Statistics reports that most second-hand clothes sold in Cameroon are globally donated but make their way via wholesale rack houses where they end up in the markets. Critics say the trade hurts the fragile domestic market. There have been calls for the sale of imported second-hand goods to be banned and fake charity clothes collectors called upon to answer charges. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yawundi. Local and international travelers to the South African mother city of Cape Town and surrounding areas will now be able to have much more convenient visitor experience than before. By making use of the just-launched Cape Town Pass, tourists will have fast-track access to transport, the very best attractions, as well as discounts at restaurants and adventure activities in and around Cape Town. More from the CEO and founder of the Cape Town Pass tourism company, Manis Fanikerk. Cape Town Pass is a single digital pass that allows visitors to experience the best that Cape Town and the Western Cape have with the ultimate convenience. The whole idea is to make it as convenient as possible for people when they visit Cape Town, when they come to the Western Cape, that they can just go around, they can experience the best attractions without having all the normal hassles and red tape of having to buy multiple tickets, having to stand in multiple lines, They can either, before they arrive, just from a website, Cape Town Pass, they'll travel. They can buy online. Once they've bought it, it can be delivered to them in one of three ways. They can have a free app on their mobile phone, which they can install and use anyway, even if they don't use our pass. That will give them all of the information of all of the attractions, and their passes will be inside that app as barcodes that can be scanned at every single one of the attractions. So they just walk up to the attraction, they don't have to stand in the ticket line, and they scan that barcode on the phone. Or they can print it themselves just on a piece of paper, it's the exact same barcode and it still works the same way. They just just skip the ticket line, they walk up and they scan that barcode. Or even once people arrive in Cape Town, There are stores all over the city that display our logo and from those stores they can just scan a little barcode and buy the pass right there in the city. It can also be a physical card still with the same barcode. So three possible ways. It can be on their phone, it can be a piece of paper that they print themselves or it can be a physical card that we supply. The purpose is to make it as convenient as possible for people to have the very best experience when they come to Cape Town. 
Marnas, does this pass only give them prepaid, if I use the correct word, access to then the venues that they want to visit? Or does it also include maybe if they want to make use of public transport, trains, buses? Or is it simply an entry to a specific venue? It includes the entries to the venues, but it also includes use of the public transport system in Cape Town, the so-called My City Business Transport for Cape Town. So they can travel around the city, they can go to Camps Bay, they can go to Half Bay, they can go to Blowburg, they can travel all around the city to all of the attractions with the city's public transport system. So this whole system basically makes it easier for visitors to come to the city and the province and have sort of cash-free going around. They don't have to carry large wallets of money when they arrive anywhere, whether it's a restaurant or at any of the interesting attractions. That's correct. I mean, people don't have to carry as much money around. Like I said in the beginning, it's all about convenience. We want to make it as convenient, as quickly, as easy as possible for people when they visit Cape Town. Because we know that if people have a good experience in Cape Town, they will tell their friends about their good experience and ultimately we will attract more visitors to South Africa, which is good for our economy as a country. Will this only be for the Western Cape province or the Cape province and Cape Town city? Or is this also going to be rolled out to other of our interesting provinces and holiday venues, cities in future as well? At the moment, it is Cape Town and the five regions of the Western Cape. But we are considering rolling it out to other cities once it's proven successful. Why did you choose this province and this city first? I mean, what makes it so special? Well, the Telegraph in London has voted Cape Town the best city in the world to visit now for years running. Cape Town is literally one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. The range of attractions that's available in Cape Town. There are so many reasons why we have chosen Cape Town, but simply because it is such a beautiful city to visit. Last year, Cape Town had 1.8 million international visitors, so it's a very good market to start any new product in. There are just so many good reasons to choose the city of Cape Town. To just recap the website for our listeners, if they want to look this up and see what is available, how they can get hold of all the information. The website is very simple, actually. Business is called Cape Town Pass. The website is just all of that as one word, capetownpass.travel, because we are a travel business. That was Manis Fanikar, the CEO and founder of the Cape Town Pass, talking to Janine Kutsia. The UN High Commission for Refugees has said refugee children will have to face uh, some education-related challenges in the Democratic Republic of Congo as schools resumed today. Children went back to school all over the DRC, but this new school term won't be too easy for refugee children from the South Sudan as they need to use French for learning, and this is is a very new language for them. Jean-Noël Bamwezi reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo hosts refugees from different countries of Africa, including refugee children and all of them, like other children here, need to go back to school this Monday. This last week's thousands of refugees fleeing violence in the South Sudan have been flowing in these countries northeastern provinces and among them, they are children who have to go back to school. 
These kids have no choice. They need to study in French as this is the education language here in the DRC and that's indeed the main challenge South Sudanese refugee children have to face according to the UNHCR spokesperson here, Simon Lubuku. You know that we have many children arriving from South Sudan but unfortunately most of them didn't catch their scholar documents. It will be difficult for them as they will study in French, which is a new language for them. But we are obliged to teach them in French. All children in DRC, refugees or Congolese citizens, study the Congolese curses. This is why for the South Sudanese, they will start with a new language. For those coming from Burundi or Central African Republic, they have schools in the camp or near the camp where they are going with the Congolese children. That is not the only challenge we have. There are many challenges like uh, the facilities. We receive more than expected populations. As you know, the refugee population is mainly children and women. We have to find where they will go for school. That is another challenge. We are working with our partners and the, the most important partner is the DRC government and we expect that everything will go for the better of these children. And indeed, the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo has said significant efforts are being done for schools to improve the education quality in this country. According to the Minister of National Education, Makir Mwangu, investigations have shown that so many learners who complete their elementary school can't read, write and calculate properly, while education remains very important for any country. I'd like to remind you that our country has decided to focus on the education quality, and that's why we need significant efforts to be done in order to improve improve our education according to the sector strategies scheduled for 2016-2025. Meanwhile, teachers are calling on the government to improve their life conditions for them to make sure they can work properly for the education quality improvement here. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. 15 minutes before the top of the hour, 6 o'clock. Time now for the economics news with Wisani. Good evening. Thanks, Tato. For the first time, Africa has been placed at the center of the G20 developmental agenda. This is one of the draft resolutions of the leaders of the most industrialized nations who have been meeting in China. The leaders have also agreed to work together to ensure economic growth in Africa. Speaking through an interpreter, the Chinese President Xi Jinping said the African masses will benefit from inclusive growth. We resolved to promote inclusive and interconnected development so that G20 cooperation will deliver benefits to the whole world. This year, the first time that an action plan has been adopted on the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the first time 
that G20 as a group has lent its support to industrialization in Africa and least developed countries. All these are pioneering moves in the G20's history. Meanwhile, IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde says a consensus at the G20 is that there must be more growth and it must be more inclusive. Lagarde was speaking after the close of the G20 summit in the eastern Chinese city of Hangzhou. She said growth has been too low for too long and that structural reforms must not just be thought about but implemented. And South Africa's opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, has decided to legally challenge the reappointment of South African Airways Board Chairperson Dudumieni. The party's leader, Musima Iman, says there is sufficient prima facie evidence to challenge Mieni's reappointment in court. We feel as a party that our job isn't just simply to hold the executive to account, but also to safeguard the South African fiscus to which South Africans contribute towards. And that's why we believe that the decision to reappoint Mr. Dumien to the board of SAA is fundamentally irrational. So today, we want to announce the fact that we will be taking the decision on review. Meanwhile, South African Airways uh, says it has been granted a three-week extension to submit financial statements to Hong Kong or risk losing the lucrative Asian road. The Hong Kong Hong Kong had earlier given the state-owned carrier a September the sixth deadline, which has now been pushed to September the thirtieth. SAA has failed to publish annual statements for the past two years. It is in danger of defaulting on its debt. Spokesperson for SAA, Tladi says they are confident that they will meet all the outstanding requirements. Ahmed Abou Hashima's Egyptian media company will raise at least 113 million US dollars in an initial public offering in the first quarter of 2018. FEP Capital, an Egyptian investment bank, has been tasked with selling the shares. Egyptian media company will be registered on the stock market as a holding company by 2017. The media company recently bought on TV channels from Egyptian billionaire. Nagub Sawiris, as well as a 50% of Misri Cinema Company from businessman Kamel Abu Ali. And South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers says uh, more than 1,500 of its members will on Tuesday march against planned retrenchments at Sibanya Gold loss making Cook 4 mine. Job cuts are a thorny issue in Africa's most industrialized country where the unemployment rate is near 27%. This is a big concern for companies faced with labor disputes. Sibanya Gold began talks with unions for job cuts at the mine in July after failing to stem heavy losses at the operation. Financial indicators now, the U.S. dollar at 14.45 South African rents at 10.70 Botswana Pula and 9.69 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.75 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,323, platinum $1,062 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $46.50 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. Thank you very much, Wisani. Time now to pass on the baton to Figile Lingwati with the latest in sports.
And as sports update this hour, starting off with football news, Uganda qualified for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations AFCON finals after beating Comoros 1-0 at the Mandela National Stadium in Kampala on Sunday afternoon. The cranes of Uganda went into the final Group D encounter knowing that only a victory would send them to the 2017 AFCON finals for the first time since 1978. Here's their coach, Micho Srejodovic. Look, it is a 39 years dream from 39 million people and most happy person. This is the crown of my 15 years serving diligently African continent in six different countries. We have come back to Uganda where I have started. It is an, like divine justice to come here and together with these wonderful boys uh, to qualify to Africa Cup of Nations. However, uh, going into Africa Cup of Nations, important was to bring, break the jinx. Going into Africa Cup of Nations, we need to improve a lot. And Kenya national football team Harambe Stars picked a point from Zambia after the teams drew one all in the final 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier at Levi Mwanawasa Stadium in Dola on Sunday. The host got an early free kick after Teddy Akumu was judged to have fouled a Zambian opponent. Kenya's lapse in concentration saw skipper Renford Kalaba equalized in the 87th minute. And in other group matches, Congo Brazzaville beat Guinea-Bissau at home. But it was too little too late as on 10 points, Guinea-Bissau had already qualified for the Nations Cup. Our correspondent in Kenya, Francis Mutegi, has more on the Afghan qualifiers. In Dola, Kenya, who traveled to Zambia for a dead rubber, were poised to finish third after leading 1-0 for almost the entire match, but a lapse in concentration saw skipper Ranford Calabar equalize in the 87th minute. In the other group match, Congo Brazzaville beat Guinea-Bissau at home, but it was too little too late as on 10 points, Guinea-Bissau had already qualified for the Nations Cup from that group. Kenyans now will be putting all their energies in preparations to host the 2018 Africa Cup of Nations Championships Chan in 2018. And drawing attention to the charter that warns against any act of government that could hamper the activities of the committee that leads to suspension on withdrawal of Kenya. And IOC advised the Kenyan government to consider dialogue with the, the, the NOC, that is the National Olympic Committee of Kenya. Through your leadership, uh, Mr. President, uh, we appreciate that Kenya was considered and given the opportunity to host the Africa Championships in 2018. And, and uh, as I committed to your deputy, I want to uh, also tell you that the government of Kenya will work over time to make sure that uh, these uh, championships are held professionally in the best possible manner and uh, the Kenyan population is behind us in making sure that uh, the championships are successful. And Kosafa's only representative in the upcoming Africa Cup of Nations, Zimbabwe, received all the plaudits from South Africa's senior national team coach, Sheikh Mashaba. This after Bafana Bafana failed to qualify for Gabon next year. Mashaba, who is under pressure, and the signs are that he might be fired after Tuesday's Nelson Mandela Challenge clash against Egypt at Orlando Stadium in Soweto. Cut a fallen figure ahead of the match at a media briefing in Johannesburg today. I would have loved to qualify. I would have loved to 
qualify. Most unfortunately, we are hammering on not qualifying. Nobody speaks about the two months I had when I started and I qualified for Equatoria Guinea. Nobody says anything about that. Picking up on the negatives, and when we hammer on the negatives. That's what makes me that I can still qualify for the World Cup. It's not the end of the world. Finally, with the tennis news, another win. Another milestone for Serena Williams, who rolled into the U.S. Open last 16 at the weekend by crushing Sweden's Johan Larsson 6-2-6-1 to collect Grand Slam victory number 307, the most by a woman in the Open era. Um, actually, it was a really good feeling. I have to say, it's a, it is actually a really good feeling. So, um, to be up there with both men and women is something that's super rare and it actually feels good. That's your Sport News this hour. This is Africa Digest. Recapping top stories this hour, 15 members of the UN Security Council meet South Sudan President Salva Kiir. Zambia's Constitutional Court dismisses a bid challenging last month's election results. That wraps up Africa Digest today. From myself, Tato Tolo, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to plus 27796. Taking us to the top of the hour is Love Don't Hurt Me Again by the legendary Ernie Smith. Do enjoy. I had a dream last night. You were there with me too, yeah. We had such a fight. We've been fighting for so very
I'll do my best to be by your side now. 